0: Chapter seven of We of the Never Never by Jeannie Mrs. Aeneas Gunn. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter seven the quiet stockman was a Scotchman and like many Scotchmen a strange contradiction of shy reserve and quiet dignified self-assurance. Having made up his mind on women in general, he saw no reason for changing it and as he went about his work, thoroughly and systematically avoided me there was no slinking round corners though jack couldn't slink he had always looked the whole world in the face with his honest blue eyes and could never do otherwise he only took care that our paths did not cross more often than was absolutely necessary but when they did his scotch dignity asserted itself and he said what had to be said with quiet self-possession although he invariably moved away as soon as possible it's just jack's way the sanguine scot said anxious that his fellow scot should not be misunderstood he'll be all there if ever you need him he only draws the line at conversations but when i mounted the stockyard fence one morning to see the breaking in of the colts he looked as though he drew the line at that too fortunately for jack's peace of mind horse-breaking was not the only novelty at the homestead. Only a couple of changes of everything in a tropical climate meant an unbroken cycle of washing days. While, apart from that, Sam Lee was full of surprises, and the Lubras' methods of house-cleaning were novel in the extreme. Sam was bland, amiable, and inscrutable, and obedient to irritation. And the Lubras were apt and merry and open-hearted, and wayward beyond comprehension, Sam did exactly as he was told, and the Lubras did exactly as they thought fit, and the results were equally disconcerting. Sam was asked for a glass of milk, and the Lubras were told to scrub the floor. Sam brought the milk immediately, and the Lubras, after scrubbing two or three isolated patches on the floor, went off on some frolic of their own. At afternoon tea, there was no milk served there was none sam explained blandly the missus had drunk it all missus been finna some milk all about he said when the lubras were brought back they said they had knocked up longa scrub and finished the floor under protest the maluka offered assistance but i thought i ought to manage them myself and set the lubras to clean and strip some feathers for a pillow the maluka had been busy with the shotgun and suggested to Sam that he might spend some of his spare time shooting birds. Mac had been right when he said the place was stiff with birds. A deep fringe of birds was constantly moving in and about and around the billabong, and the perpetual clatter of the plovers and waders formed an undercurrent to the life at the homestead. The Lubras worked steadily for a quarter of an hour at the feathers. Then a dog fight demanding all their attention... The feathers were left to the mercy of the winds and were never gathered together at sundown Sam fired into a colony of martins that mac considered the luck of the homestead right into their midst he fired as they slept in long graceful garlands one beside the other along the branches of a gum-tree each with its head snugly tucked away out of sight missus want feather sam said with his unfathomable smile while mac flared at him, and again the missus appeared the culprit. The maluka advised making the orders a little clearer, and Sam was told to use more discretion in his obedience, and, smiling and apologetic, promised to obey. The Lubras also promised to be more painstaking, reserving only the right to rest if they should knock up longer work. The maluka, Mac, and the dandy looked on in amusement while the missus wrestled with the servant question and even the quiet stockman grinned sympathetically at times unconsciously becoming interested in a woman who was too occupied to ask questions for five days i wrestled and the only comfort i had was in bertie's nelly a gentle-faced old lubra almost sweet-faced she undoubtedly did her best and showing signs of friendship was invaluable in rounding up the other lubras when they showed signs of knocking up on the morning of the sixth day, Sam surpassed himself in obedience. I had hinted that breakfast should be a little earlier, adding timidly that he might use a little more ingenuity in the breakfast menu, and at the first grey streak of dawn breakfast was announced, and dressing hurriedly, we sat down to what Sam called pump pie king pie with raisins and mince. The expression on Sam's face was celestial no other word could describe it there was also an underlying expression of triumph which made me suspicious of his apparent ingeniousness and as the lubras had done little else but make faces at themselves in the looking-glass for two days i was beginning to hate that looking-glass i appealed to the maluka for assistance he took sam in hand and the triumph slipped away from beneath the stolid face and a certain amount of discrimination crept into his obedience from henceforth then the sanguine scott said that he would tackle the lubras for her and in half an hour everywhere was swept and garnished and the lubras were meek and submissive you'll need to rule them with a rod of iron max said secretly pleased with his success but there was one drawback to his methods for next day with the exception of Delhi, there were no lubras to rule with or without a rod of iron Jimmy the water-carrier and general director of the wood-heap gossip, explained that they had gone off with the Camp Lubras for a day's recreation. Him knock up Longa all about work, he said, with an apologetic smile. Jimmy was either apologetic or condescending. Nellie rounded them up when they returned, and the Maluka suggested, as a way out of the difficulty, that I should try to make myself more attractive than the Camp Lubras, which Max said, shouldn't be difficult, and then coughed, doubtful of the compliment. I went down to the creek at once, to carry out the Maluka suggestion, and succeeded so well that I was soon the centre of a delightful dusky group, squatting on its haunches, and in deep in fascinations of teaching an outsider its language. The uncouth mispronunciations tickled the old men beyond description, and they kept me gurgling at difficult gutturals, until, convulsed at the contortion of every-day words and phrases they echoed dan's opinion in queer pigeon english that the missus needed a deal of education jimmy gradually became loftily condescending and as for old nelly she had never enjoyed anything quite so much undoubtedly i made myself attractive to the blackfellow mind for besides having proved an unexpected entertainment i had made every one feel mightily superior to the missus that power of inspiring others with a sense of superiority is an excellent trait to possess when dealing with a black fellow, for there were more than enough helpers next day, and the work was done quickly and well, so as to leave plenty of time for merrymaking. The Maluka and Mac were full of congratulations. "You've got the mob well in hand now," Mac said, unconscious that he was about to throw everything into disorder again, for six years mac had been in charge of the station and when he heard that the maluka was coming north to represent the owners he had decided to give bullock punching a turn as a change from stock keeping sanguine that there was a good thing in it he had bought a bullock wagon and team while in at the catherine and secured loading for inside under these circumstances it was difficult to understand why he had been so determined in his blocking the only reason he could ever be conjoled into giving being that he was off the escorting trick, and besides the other chaps had to be thought of, he was now about to go to see to things, taking Bertie his right-hand boy with him, leaving Nelly with me. Bertie had expressed himself quite agreeable to the arrangement, but at the eleventh hour refused to go without Nelly, and Nelly, preferring the now fascinating homestead to the company of her lord and master, refused to go with him and Mac was at his wit's end. It was impossible to carry her off by force. So two days were spent in shrill, ear-splitting arguments, the threads of Nellie's argument being that Bertie could easily catch Nuzzer Lubra, and that the missus must have one good fellow Lubra on the staff. Mac, always chivalrous, said he would manage somehow without Bertie, rather than upset things. But the maluka would not agree. And finally, nelly consented to go on condition that she would be left at the homestead when the wagons went through then matt came and confessed a long-kept secret roper belonged to the station and he had no claim on him beyond fellowship i've ridden him ever since i came here that's all he said his arm thrown across the old horse i'd have stuck to him somehow fair means or foul if i hadn't seen you know how to treat a good horse the Maluka instantly offered fair means, but Max shook his head. "Let the missus have him," he said, "and they'll both have a good time." But I'm first offer when it comes to selling. So the grand old horse was passed over to me to be numbered among the staunchest and truest of friends. Oh well, Max said in good bye. All's well that ends well, and he pointed to Nelly, safely stowed away in a grove of dogs that half filled the back of the buckboard but all had not ended for us. So many Lubras put themselves on the homeset staff to fill the place left by Nelly, that the one room was filled to overflowing while the work was being done, and the Maluka was obliged to come to the rescue once more. He reduced the house staff to two, allowing a shadow or two extra in the persons of a few old black fellows and a pickaninny or two, sending the rejected to camp. In the morning there was a free fight in camp, between the staff and some of the camp lubras the rejected led by jimmy's lubra another nelly declaring the maluka had met two different lubras each day again there was much ear-splitting argument but finally a compromise was agreed on two lubras were to sit down permanently while as many as wished might help with the washing and watering then the staff and the shadows settled down on the veranda beside me to watch while i evolved dresses for two lubras out of next to nothing in the way of material, and as I sowed the Maluka, with some travellers who were in to help him, set to work to evolve a garden also out of next to nothing in the way of material, hopeless as it looked, oblong beds were soon marked out at each of the four corners of the veranda, and beyond the beds, a broad path was made to run right round the house. The wilderness shall blossom like the rose, the Maluka said planting seeds of a vigorous growing flowering bean at one of the corner posts. The travellers were deeply interested in the servant wrestle, and when the staff was eventually clothed, and the rejected Green with envy, decided that the whole difficulty was solved, bar Sam. Sam, however, was about to solve his part of the difficulty to everyone's satisfaction. A master as particular over the men's tables as his own was not a master after Sam's heart so he came to the maluka and announced in the peculiar manner of chinese cooks that he was about to write for a new cook for the station who would probably arrive within six weeks when sam having installed him to our satisfaction would with our permission leave our service the permission was graciously given and as sam retired we longed to tell him to engage someone renowned for his disobedience we fancied later that our willingness piqued sam for after giving notice he bestirred himself to such an extent that one of our visitors tried to secure his services for himself convinced we were throwing away a treasure in that fortnight we had several visitors travellers passing through the station and as each stayed a day or two a few of the visits overlapped and some merry hours were spent in the little homestead some of the guests knew beforehand of the arrival of a missus at the station and came ready groomed from their last camp but others only heard of her arrival when inside the homestead enclosure and there was a great application of soap and razors and towels before they considered themselves fit for presentation with only one room at our disposal it would seem to the uninitiated that the accommodation of the homestead must have been strained to bursting-point but out bush every man carries a bluey and a mosquito net in his swag and as the hosts slept under the veranda, and the guests on the garden paths, or in their camps among the forest trees, spare rooms would only have been superfluous. With a billabong at the door, a bathroom was easily dispensed with, and as everyone preferred the roomy verandas for lounging and smoking, the house had only to act as a dressing-room for the hosts, and a dining-room for all. The meals, of course, were served on the dining-table, but no apology seemed necessary, for the presence of a four-poster bed and a washing-stand in the reception-room, they were there, and our guests knew why they were there, and words like spare rooms would have been superfluous breakfast at sun-up or thereabouts, dinner at noon, and supper at sundown is the long-established routine of meals on all cattle runs of the never-never, and at all three meals Sam waited bland and smiling. The missus, of course, had one of the china cups and the guests enamelware and the flies hovering everywhere in dense clouds saucers rested on the top of the cups by common consent bread scones and such thing were covered over with serviettes throughout all meals while hands were kept busy shooing flies out of prospective mouthful everything lacked conventionality and was accepted as a matter of course although at times sam sorely taxed my gravity by using the bed for a temporary dumb waiter the bushmen showed no embarrassment simply because they felt none and retained their self-possession with unconscious dignity they sat among the buzzing swarms of flies light-hearted and self-reliant chatting of their daily lives of lonely vigils of cattle camps and stampedes of dangers and privations and i listened with a dawning consciousness that life out bush is something more than mere existence being within four miles of the overland telegraph that backbone of the overland route rarely a week was to pass without someone coming in and at times our travellers came in twos and threes as each brought news of that world outside our tiny circle carrying in perhaps an extra mail to us or one out for us they formed a strong link in the chain that bound us to the outside in them every rank in bush life was represented from cattle drovers and stockmen to the owners of stations from swagmen and men down in their luck to telegraph operators and heads of government departments men of various nationalities with foremost among them the scots sons of that fighting race that has everywhere fought with and conquered the australian bush yet whatever their rank or race our travellers were men not riff-raff the long formidable stages that wall in the never-never have seen to that, turning back the weaklings and worthless to the flesh-pots of Egypt, and proving the worth and mettle of the brave-hearted. All men, every one of them, and all in need of a little hospitality, whether of the prosperous and well-doing, or down in their luck. And each was welcomed according to that need, for out bush rank counts for little. We are only men and women there, and all who came in and went on, or remained, gave us their best while with us for there was that in the maluka that drew the best out of all men in life we generally find our fellow-men just what we seek and the maluka seeking only the good found only the good and drew much of it into his own sympathetic sunny nature he demanded the best and was given the best and while with him men found they were better men than at other times some of our guests sat with us at table some with the men and some grubbed in their camps. All of them rode in strangers, and many of them rode out lifelong friends, for such is the way of the bush folk. A little hospitality, a day or two of mutual understanding, and we have become part of the other's life. For bush hospitality is something better than the bare housing and feeding of guests, being just the simple sharing of our daily lives with a fellow man, a literal sharing of all that we have, of our plenty or scarcity our joys or sorrows our comforts or discomforts our security or danger a democratic hospitality where all men are equally welcome yet so refined in its simplicity and wholesomeness that fulsome thanks or vulgar apologies have no part in it although it was whispered among the bush folk that those down in their luck learned that when the maluka was filling tucker-bags a timely word in praise of the missus filled tucker bags to overflowing. Two hundred and fifty guests was the tally for that year, and earliest among them came a telegraph operator, who, as is the way with telegraph operators out bush, invited us to ride across to the wire for a shake hands with the outside. And within an hour we came in sight of the telegraph wire, as our horses mounted the stony ridge that overlooks the warlock ponds, when the wire was forgotten for a moment in the kaleidoscope of moving ever-changing color that met our eyes two wide-spreading limpid ponds the warlock lay before us veiled in a glory of golden-flecked heliotrope and purple water lilies and floating deep green leaves with here and there gleaming little seas of water opening out among the lilies and standing knee-deep in the margins a rustling fringe of light reeds and giant bulrushes all round the ponds stood dark groves of pandanus palms and among and beyond the palms tall grasses and forest trees with here and there a spreading colabar festooned from summit to trunk with brilliant crimson strands of mistletoe and here and there a gaunt dead old giant of the forest and everywhere above and beyond the timber deep sunny blue and flooding sunshine sunny blue reflected with the gaunt old trees in the tiny gleaming seas among the lilies, while everywhere upon the floating leaves myriads and myriads of grey and pink galah parrots and sulphur crested cockatoos preened their feathers or rested sipping at the water grey and pink verging to heliotrope and snowy white touched here and there with gold blending flower-like with the golden flecked glory of the lilies for a moment we waited spellbound in the brilliant sunshine. Then the dogs, running down to the water's edge, the galas and cockatoos rose, with gorgeous sunrise effect, a floating grey and pink cloud, backed by sunlit flashing white. Direct to the forest trees they floated, and settling there in their myriads, as by a miracle, the gaunt, gnarled old giants of the bush, all over blossomed with garlands of grey and pink and white and gold. But the operator being unpoetical had ridden on to the wire and presently was shinning up one of its slender galvanized iron posts as a preliminary to the handshake for tapping the line being part of the routine of a telegraph operator in the territory shinning up posts is one of his necessary accomplishments in town dust and haste and littered papers and nerve-racking bustle seem indispensable to the sending of a telegram but when the bush folk shake hands with outside all the sunshine and restfulness soft beauty and leisurely pace with the murmuring bush about us and the clear space kept always cleared beneath those quivering wires we stood all dressed in white first looking up at the operator as clinging to his pole he tapped the line and then looking down at him as he knelt at our feet with his tiny transmitter beside him clicking out our message to the south folk and as we stood with our horses bridles over our arms and the horses nibbling at the sweet grasses in touch with the world in spite of our isolation a gorgeous butterfly rested for a brief space on the tiny instrument with gently swaying purple wings and away in the great world men were sending telegrams amid clatter and dust unconscious of that tiny group of bush folk or that nature who does all things well can beautify even the sending of a telegram in the heart of the bush we stood yet listening to the clatter of the townsfolk for business over the little clicking instrument was gossiping cheerily with us the telegraph wire in the territory being such a friendly wire daily it gathers gossip and daily whispers it up and down the line and daily news and gossip fly hither and thither who's inside who's gone out whom to expect where the mailman is the newest arrival in darwin and the latest rainfall at Powell's Creek. Daily, the telegraph people hear all the news of the Territory, and in due course give the news to the public. When the travellers gathering it, carry it out to the bush folk, scattering it broadcast, until everybody knows everyone else, and all his business, and where it has taken him. And because of that knowledge, and in spite of those hundreds of thousands of square miles of bushland, the people of the Territory are held together in one great brotherhood. Among various items of news, the little instrument told us that Dan was packing up for the return trip, and in a day or two he came in, bringing a packet of garden seeds and a china teapot from mine host, southern letters from the telegram, and, from little Johnny, news that he was getting tools together and would be along in no time. Being in one of his whimsical moods, Dan withheld congratulations. "'I've been thinking things over, boss,' he said. "'assuming his most philosophical manner. "'And I reckon any more rooms will only interfere "'with getting the missus educated.' "'Later on he used the servant question "'to hang his argument on. "'Just proves what I was saying,' he said. "'If the cleaning of one room "'causes all this trouble and worry, "'where'll she be when she's got four to look after? "'What with white ants and blue mould "'and mildew and wrestling with lubras,' there won't be one minute to spare for education. He also professed disapproval of the Maluka's devices for making the homestead more habitable. If this goes on, we'll never learn nothing but loafing, he declared, when he found that a couple of yards of canvas and a few sticks had become a comfortable lounge chair. Too much luxury! And he sat down on his own heels to show how he scorned luxuries. A tree— sawn into short lengths to provide veranda seats for all comers he passed over as doubtful he was slightly reassured however when he heard that my revolver practice had not been neglected and condescended to own that some of the devices were handy enough a neat little tray made from the end of a packing-case and a few laughs interested him in particular you'll get him dodged for ideas one of these days he said alluding to the maluka's ingenuity and when, a day or two later, I broke the spring of my watch and asked helplessly how ever was I going to tell the time till the wagons came with the clock. Dan felt sure I had set an unsolvable problem. That'd get anybody dodged, he declared, but it took more than that to dodge the Maluka's resourcefulness. He spent a little while in the sun with a compass and a few wooden picks, and a sundial lay on the ground just outside the veranda. Dan declared it just licked creation and wondered if that'd settle em when I asked for some strong iron rings for a curtain. But the dandy took a hobble chain to the forge and, breaking the links asunder, welded them into smooth, round rings. The need for curtain rings was very pressing, for, scanty as it was, the publicity of our wardrobe hanging in one corner of the reception room distressed me. But the dandy's rings and a checkered rug for curtain. A corner wardrobe was soon fixed up. Dan looked at it askance, and harked back to the sundial, and education. It's cute enough, he said, but it won't do, boss. She should have been taught how to tell the time by the sun. Don't you let him spoil your chances of education, missus. You were in luck when you struck this place. Never saw luck equal to it. And if it holds good, something'll happen to stop you from ever having a house, so as to get you properly educated. My luck held good for the time being, for when Johnny came along in a few days, he announced, in answer to a very warm welcome, that something had gone wrong at number three well, and that he promised to see to it at once. Oh, Johnny, I cried reproachfully, but the next moment was towing the line, even to the head stockman's satisfaction, for with a look of surprise, Johnny had added, I, I thought you'd reckon that traveller's water for the dry came before your rooms. Out Bush, we deal in hard facts. Thought I'd reckon, I said, appalled to think my comfort should even be spoken of when men's lives were in question. Of course I do. I didn't understand, that was all. We haven't finished your education yet, Dan explained, and the maluka added, but she's learning. Johnny looked perplexed. Oh, well, that's all right, then, he said rather ambiguously. I'll be back as soon as possible, and then we shan't be long. Two days later he left the homestead, bound for the well, and as he disappeared into the tea-tree that bordered the south track, most of us agreed that luck was out. Only Dan professed to think differently. It's more wonderful than ever, he declared, more wonderful than ever, and if it holds good, we'll never see Johnny again. End of Chapter 7